The scripture reading this morning will be coming from the book of Acts, chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 32 through the end of the chapter. If you'd like to be turning there, Acts 4, 32 through 37. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of these things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked for for as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the price of these things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, in the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. The name Barnabas appears 28 times in the King James Version of the Bible. It appears 23 times in the book of Acts alone. There are only three other names that appear more times in the book of Acts. Paul appears 129 times. Peter appears 56 times. And you read the name John 24 times in the book of Acts. David Roper said that he is a major, minor character. It seems that Barnabas did not possess the greatness of Peter or the genius of Paul, but he played a major role in the history of the church. The first 12 chapters of Acts deals primarily with the ministry of Peter. The final part of the book of Acts deals primarily with the ministry of Paul, but Barnabas impacted the works of both of those great men. The name Barnabas means the son of encouragement. Have you ever noticed that some people, when they show up in your life, they bring trouble and strife with their presence? Barnabas brought comfort and peace. That's what he did. He was an early comforter for the church, and he served as an advocate for both Paul and John Mark. He stood by those two men when no one else wanted to have anything to do with them. Clovis Chapel contrasted James and John with Barnabas. He said James and John were called the sons of thunder. He said that speaks of power, might, dash. The lightnings flash and the thunders crash. He said there is storm in their personalities. But Barnabas, he said, is the peaceful sunset after the storm. He is the light at eventide. He is the son of consolation. Have you ever considered Barnabas was so encouraging to others, his designation replaced his given name? Because he exalted others instead of himself, his name was changed from Joseph to Barnabas? By his spirit, Barnabas showed himself 
to be a son of God. After all, God is described as a God of patience and consolation, Romans 15, 5. Barnabas certainly practiced comforting others with the comfort that he had received from God, 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4. There is no doubt Barnabas was a great man and a faithful follower of Christ. He's an example we can use in our daily lives today. Just as Paul said, be ye followers of me as I am also a follower of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. And I believe we can follow Barnabas for that exact same reason. We ought to be a follower of Barnabas because he was certainly a follower of Christ. The title of the sermon this morning is The Son of of encouragement, and using Barnabas as, I think, a perfect example on how we can encourage each other in our daily lives as we endeavor to be faithful to our Lord, I want us to use him as that example. Let's use Barnabas today as we set forth to live the rest of our lives following Jesus, and let's encourage others to do that same thing. How we go about doing that? Well, first, let's encourage others to have lives of prayer. That's our first point. There are some core principles when it comes to having a life of prayer. I think that is one of the reasons many have neglected prayer lives. I think many people do not understand prayer. Prayer has some core principles. It seems like an easy subject until we begin to look at it and we begin to break it down and we try to understand exactly what we need to understand about prayer. We have to have a knowledge about prayer and sometimes our knowledge is lacking when it comes to prayer. Prayer has to include some things. In fact, prayer has to include several things. First of all, when we look at prayer, we have to understand prayer is most often a very personal thing. In fact, prayer is a personal experience most of the time, isn't it? It's very most often a very personal thing. Jesus used the terms you and yours 11 times in three verses when he instructed his disciples how to pray, Matthew 6, 5 through 7. An individual's prayer life cannot be actively done by proxy. We cannot have someone to pray for us in our prayer lives. Now, someone can pray for us, and we ask people to pray for us, and we need that. But someone cannot do our praying for us as individuals. It's a personal experience. But it is also a perpetual thing. We have to pray a lot. It has to be a part of who we are. Jesus said, when you pray, not if you pray. Prayer has to be a part of who we are. That tells us prayer should be a regular practice in our lives. What did Peter, t- or excuse me, what did Paul tell his readers? 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, he said, pray without ceasing. Now he didn't mean that we pray 24-7. It's hard to pray while you're sleeping. Now most of us have fallen asleep praying, Right? I would say that a whole lot of us do a lot of praying while we are in bed. 
But praying without ceasing means that we pray often. We pray about things in our lives. Before we do something, we pray about it. When we worry about something, we pray about it. When we consider things, we pray about those things. Also, we are to pray even when it seems difficult to pray about that thing. Prayer ought to be observed during different times as well. When we have different emotions and different experiences, we ought to pray about it. We may even pray for the same things regularly, right? Maybe God wants to understand and makes us wants us to understand how bad do we need that thing or how bad do we want that thing for which we petition. Luke 18, 1-8 speaks of that persistent widow, right? Prayer must also be proactive. Often people are reactive instead of proactive. They wait for the problem to arrive before they pray about it. Let's pray about it before the problem gets here. Let's pray about the situation in our lives. Let's pray for our children before something bad happens. Right? Let's, let's rear our children in a godly way and then pray that that maintains. Let's pray for our nation. Let's pray for every aspect of our lives that it is what God would have it to be. And then let's pray for it when it doesn't happen. But let's pray for it before it happens. Let's be proactive in our prayers. We must be able to identify the issue before it gets here, right? Let's, get, let's pray about it before it explodes. And then we might prevent it. Prayer is a time when one seeks after God and, and bears his or her soul to the great Creator. Let us seek Him in order to prevent problems in our lives instead of only when we have problems. See, sometimes we, we miss that, don't we? we? We don't quite understand that aspect of prayer. Jesus prayed constantly. He didn't just pray before He was about to go to the cross. He prayed throughout His life. When the Israelites returned from captivity, Jeremiah prophesied, Then you will call upon Me and go and pray to Me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart, Jeremiah 12, or excuse me, Jeremiah 29, 12 through 13. You see, there are core principles that lend themselves to a better prayer life. But there are also things that constrict one's prayer life. Preoccupation will constrict one's prayer life. You know, a lot of things can get in the way of one's prayer life. We allow preoccupation to, to draw us off course. Do you remember what Jesus said, Matthew 6, 6? He said, go into your room and there when you shut your door, pray to your Father. Well, what was He talking about? Can you not pray unless you go into a room and shut the door? That's not what He was talking about. He said, focus on that about which you pray. Focus on God. Focus about the topic. Pay attention to what you're talking about. When you pray to God, don't allow everything else in the world to flood into your minds. That's what God was saying to us, right? That's hard to do sometimes, isn't it? Have you ever prayed to God as you're about to take the Lord's Supper and then you're thinking about, oh, I've got a roast in the oven. 
I've got to go to work after services. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. That's just one example. Right? The person behind me is getting into their checkbook. You ever thought about that? Listen. He said, go into your room, shut the door, then pray to God. He's talking about focus. Let's not be preoccupied. Preoccupation will interfere. It will constrict. Transgression will constrict. It is hard and impossible to have an appropriate prayer life when one is at odds with God. It cannot be done. We have to be on the same page with God. We have to be in fellowship with God. When we think of John 9.31, we're usually doing it in the aspect of someone talking about the sinner's prayer in, as it applies to salvation because that's what the denominational world usually talks about when we're talking about salvation is the sinner's prayer. Well, the sinner's prayer doesn't exist in, in the Bible. It's not there because John 9.31 tells us God does not hear the prayers of sinners. Well, God does not hear the prayer of anybody living in sin, whether it's the alien sinner or the Christian who's fallen from the grace of God. John 9.31. So let's make the proper application, right? It applies to anyone who's not walking in the light. So if a person is in transgression, we cannot have a proper prayer life. And that will constrict that, right? We have to be in the right relationship with God if we're going to have a proper prayer life. And so how do we, how do we get back in line with that? Well, the person who has already obeyed the gospel plan of salvation of faith and repentance, confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, immersion in water, Romans 6, 3, and 4. Well, that person who's already followed those guidelines has to repent of that past sin that he's committed that now makes that fallen Christian be in transgression to God, confessing that sin, whether publicly or privately, and then praying and asking God. See, the penitent sinner can pray to God who's no longer living in sin, who has repented and asked God for that forgiveness. Now he's no longer in transgression. And God will forgive that sin. Acts 8, 22. Here's something else. See, you have something constricting the prayer life, which is preoccupation, transgression. What about frustration? Sometimes we don't even know how to pray or what to pray for, do we? We just know something's not right in our lives. We need help with that, right? That's why Jesus said, In this manner, therefore, pray, Matthew 6, 9. When we consider the different aspects of the model prayer, it can become easier for our prayers to come together. Remember Peter said, Casting all your care upon me because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. Even when we are frustrated. Have you ever felt like you just didn't know how to get the message across in your prayer? The Holy Ghost will help on that part. That's what, what uh, Paul said. He mediates, or he, uh, uh, Jesus is our mediator. He talks on our behalf. He's our uh, helper when it comes to that. We're all, we all do that, don't we? Sometimes we just have to lay it on God's shoulders, right? 
It only takes a casual glance at society that we live in a troubled and an uncertain time. A battle is being waged. And though we walk in the flesh, we do not according or war according to the flesh. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3. The battle we wage is a spiritual battle. And harder than any physical battle that has ever been fought. Ephesians 6 verse 12. We have to understand that each Christian who lives in this world faces the never-ending struggle that we fight on a daily basis against wickedness in all the forms that it takes or that it can manifest. We have to be aware of that, right? And it is designed to silence the opposition. That's what Satan has done. Satan has uh, done these things to help the Christian to fall in his walk with God. And we need to have a prayer life to beseech God on our behalf to help us with that even when we become frustrated. We don't know what to do next. Well, first we have to be faithful. And we have to plead with God. Help me make it through this particular situation, right? Right? We face a never-ending struggle. We're bombarded daily with the sin of this world, with false religions, with all manner of things. That's why we must encourage each other. That's what Barnabas did. Barnabas encouraged those around him. That's why he's known as the son of encouragement. We have to stay focused on our purpose. We have to be bold enough to stand up and to be able to resist the powers of darkness, and to encourage, just like Barnabas. If we're going to be successful in encouragement, we must have a godly prayer life. That's where it must begin. And we must also have a life of purpose. We must have a life of purpose. That's our second point. There are consequences when we do not have a purpose in life. When we look at the statement that Jesus made, when he's talking about the narrow way and the broad way, he said there's a, there's a, there's a narrow gate and there's a, there's a broad gate. You have to focus and have a purpose to get through that narrow gate. It's very easy to go through the broad gate, isn't it? You don't even have to pay attention to go through the broad gate. You can just stumble and trip and fall into the broad gate. But if you want to get through the narrow gate, you have to focus on getting through the narrow gate. That has to be your purpose, right? And there are consequences when a person does not have a purpose in life. And one of the consequences is we become indifferent. And you will stumble and fall and just trip into that broad way. That's one of the consequences, right? We may not feel on the inside like we are indifferent, but that's what happens. That's what happens when a person isn't paying attention and they become indifferent in this world. And they kind of become silent. They kind of become silent and they just allow things to happen. And they don't stand up. And we become jaded. And things that once bothered us no longer bother us. Right? And that's what society is doing. And that's what certain people in our society want to happen to us. They want us to become jaded to the terrible things. And they want us to get used to it. And they want us to overlook it. And now it no longer bothers us. And once it no longer bothers us, guess what happens then? 
They go to the next level. They go to the next level. You remember years ago when uh, we used to have TV shows on, and uh, I'm not a Lucy fan. I don't know. I hope you don't stone me for that. I know a lot of people love Lucy. I never have liked her. But anyway, uh, you know, her and, and Ricky, they, didn't have, they, they had twin beds in their bedroom. Okay? They were married. They had twin beds. Because at one time, when we had TV shows, people thought that was inappropriate to show even a married couple in the same bed with each other. Now, I'm not here to discuss whether, what, what's a, a, uh, whether that's appropriate or not on, uh, on TV. But my point is, over time, that changed, didn't it? That changed over time. I remember watching the Flintstones as a child growing up, Wilma and Fred. They had those little rock beds, and guess what? They were twin beds, even on a cartoon. They didn't share the same bed as a married couple. Over time, that has all changed, right? You saw things differently, and it's progressed, and we become jaded to things, and now it's different, and you see different things, and we become indifferent, and now you see all manner of things on, on regular TV. When uh, Whatever time it is now, they deem that a child ought to be in bed, you better watch out. You better not let your child be up watching a certain uh, whatever channel it is because no telling what they'll see. I get uh, emails all the time from the American Family Association to sign this uh, uh, whatever uh, petition for this or for that. Uh, Netflix had something on. Uh, I just signed a petition because Netflix had a cartoon on that showed Jesus on a cross with uh, machine guns in each hand. And he came down off of the cross and he, he left that cross with two women. Really? They put that on TV? It's a cartoon? That would be a shame to themselves. But see, society's become jaded to that kind of thing. We can't be indifferent to that. We have to have a purpose in life. We have to stand up to those things. We cannot be silent to that. We have to be willing to be hated for God's sake and stand up and say, you know what, you ought to be ashamed for that. We have to encourage each other to say, hey, don't, don't participate in that. Don't, don't have Netflix in your home. Don't do that. Let's hit them in the pocketbook. Let's stand up and say, we don't, we don't agree with that and we're not going to buy your product. Or whatever the case. That's just one example. But there are consequences when it comes to not having a purpose in life. If we're going to have uh, avoid consequences, we have to be courageous. And you know, we see that in Barnabas, don't we? Barnabas was courageous. And we must never mistake meekness for weakness. I think we could probably identify Barnabas as a person who was a meek person. We do not read about him being like a Peter. I don't think we would ever say Peter was meek. He was courageous. Maybe he should have worked on his meekness. But meekness is strength under control. It does not suggest silence or fear, though. He was willing to stand up. God will strengthen us as long as we are willing to carry His load. And we have to be willing to carry His load and stand up and say, I don't agree with that. I'm not going to support that. But we have to have a purpose. And we need to encourage each other in that.
For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward Him. Second Chronicles 16, verse 9. God never wavers. He never tires. He's not like we are. He never becomes discouraged. And that is why He is the source of our courage. And we need to encourage other people. God proclaimed this, Isaiah 41, verse 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. You know, we sing a, call, we sing a song called Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. Do you know where that came from? It has kind of a, a, a sad background. It was written in 1858. The evangelist and abolitionist Dudley Atkins Ting He went to a barn on his farm after a meeting in Philadelphia. He reached out to pet a mule that was working a machine shelling corn. His sleeve caught up in the cogs and it tore off his arm. Hours later, he was discovered slowly bleeding to death. In his last moments, he whispered to one of his assistants, George Duffield, tell them to stand up for Jesus. Mr. Duffield went home and he penned the song that we sing today. So let us be encouraged to show our purpose and stand up for Jesus. Let us be encouraged to encourage each other. It's hard to do it by yourself. But if we come together and we encourage each other to stand up and do the right thing, avoid certain things, be courageous in the fight, that's what Barnabas did. And we can be encouraged even when we act like people. That's our third and our last point. We all suffer from what we know is the human condition. You know, I've heard that term for years, really all of my life, and I had a general idea of what that meant, but I wasn't completely sure what it entailed. But here's what the human condition refers to. It talks about all situations that people can commonly relate to, things that are important to them, right? It means we're human and that we are subject to the frailties of human nature. That was certainly true of Barnabas, wasn't it? He was one of the best in the early church, but he was not perfect by any means. He was, in fact, a person. John Steinbeck once noted, Man is the only kind of varmint that sets his own trap, that baits it, and then steps in it. No one knew that better than Barnabas. When those in Lystras tried to worship uh, Paul and Barnabas, They made it very clear. They said, we're not gods. We are also men just like you. In fact, they said, we are of like passions as those men who had fallen down before them, Acts 14, 15. Not only were they not gods, they weren't even supermen. They were the kind of people who had to bring their own bodies under control. They had to bring their own minds into subjection, 1 Corinthians 9, 27. They were also men who did the wrong things from time to time, just like Peter did, Mark 8, verse 33. There are two cases recorded for us where Barnabas uh, was subject to the human condition. One where he was wrong, and the other where he was just being a person. The first occasion involved Peter, Paul, and Barnabas. We go over to Galatians chapter 2 and... And Paul talked about it in that letter, and and Peter and Barnabas were guilty. 
He wrote, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men from uh, before uh, before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Galatians 2, 11 through 13. Now that says a lot about Barnabas. He's talking about Peter. He doesn't particularly act that shocked when he's talking about Peter. He's disappointed. He's disappointed. And he's disappointed with the other men. And you can, you can feel that in his words. But he doesn't seem like he's that shocked that under certain circumstances that they might stumble in that direction. But then he gets down there and says, so that even Barnabas, I think the King James says, was carried away with their dissimulation. Barnabas? Even Barnabas? He was that great? He was that good of a man? Paul was shocked. So that says a lot about Barnabas. But what it also tells us was he was just a person. He was just people. He made a mistake. And no doubt he repented of that mistake. Paul said he allowed himself to get carried away. And when a person with his spirit and stature could get carried away with hypocrisy, what about... Just regular old people. They can make mistakes too. But Peter's involvement shows the same thing. And we learn that they were men who endured the same temptations that we endure today. If the son of encouragement could become discouraged, it could happen to anyone. If he could become a discourager, we all have that potential as well. And see, we don't want to become discouragers we want to be encouragers, just like Barnabas was. And this is the only time that I read about in the New Testament where Barnabas was a discourager. Now, he may have discouraged at other times, and this wasn't his only mistake, but it was a big one. The second time we see the humanity of Barnabas is when he and Paul had a disagreement. Now, nothing wrong, and I don't think Barnabas sinned in any way here. They just had a disagreement. And no doubt when they parted company, they parted on loving terms. But they disagreed over whether or not to allow John Mark to accompany them on a mission trip. Now at one time, Mark had been with them and he deserted the company for whatever reason. Paul wasn't going to give him a second chance to do it again. Barnabas, being Barnabas, being the great encourager that he was, the son of encouragement, he said, let's give him a second chance. I know that he'll do better this time. Paul said, not so. He's not coming. And the disagreement was so great that this wonderful mission team decided to break up. So Paul took Silas, Barnabas took Mark, and they went their other way. This wonderful mission team that had done such great work decided to end their relationship as a mission team. But guess what happened? Now we have two wonderful mission teams. Paul and Silas, Barnabas and Mark, and they went off to do just as wonderful mission work as the two original uh, members did. But guess what happened later on? They decided, or Paul decided, that Mark had become very profitable. He saw potential in Mark. 
Paul told Timothy later, he said, Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. 2 Timothy 4, verse 11. Now this is at the end of Paul's life. He has seen what a great man Mark is, and had it not been for Barnabas, who knows how it might have ended for Mark. No doubt people can do greater things when other people believe that they can. What an encouragement. I don't know what would have happened to Mark. Maybe he would have been just as great. But no doubt Barnabas helped him in that direction. It is important to understand, though, that Mark adjusted in his life what needed to be adjusted. But I'm sure through Barnabas's encouragement that was helped. The contention between Paul and Barnabas led to this separation. And it is sad, but it didn't harm the work. It did turn into two great teams. Someone wrote one time, said, Flatter me and I may not believe you. Criticize me and I may not like you. Ignore me and I may not forgive you. Encourage me and I will not forget you. May we continually encourage each other as we live for Christ. Encouragement this morning is to answer the Lord's invitation if you're a subject. If you've never obeyed the gospel, if you've never followed those steps that we talked about earlier, faith in Jesus, Hebrews 11.6, repentance of past sins, Luke 13, verse 3, confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He lived, that He died, that He rose again on the third day, that He sits today at the right hand of the Father, Romans 10, 10. Being immersed in water so that your sins can be washed away, Mark 16, 16. Being added to the Lord's church, Acts 2, 47. Now here's the thing. A lot of denominations in the world uh, practice baptism. But is it New Testament baptism? See, we have to be careful. We have to understand that there's only one New Testament church. One can be baptized in any number of organizations, but can you be taught wrong and baptized right? That's the thing we have to understand. You have to be baptized according to what Jesus said. We can go to Acts chapter 19, and Paul ran across uh, seven disciples. They had been baptized the right, according to the right method. They were immersed but it wasn't the correct baptism. They were baptized according to John's baptism. And so they had to be baptized according to Christ's baptism. And they were baptized again, added to the Lord's church. Now maybe you've done that and you've become unfaithful. If you need to come back to God, you need to repent of any sin in your life that separated you, if you need to do that publicly, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.